0: Katie, fakaranga mai koe ki na pātaka kōrero o tamaki makoto. You're listening to Auckland Libraries on Soundcloud. For, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community
1: there that celebrates it and connects to it. At the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through to the present and then on to the future, hopefully, if we
0: do our jobs right. Welcome to the Heritage Talks podcast, bringing you the best in family and local history from New Zealand, the Pacific and beyond. Your heritage now. Today we're listening to Ted Dickens, who shares highlights from his long career with Farmers Trading Company.
1: I started with Farmers in 1953. I was with them for 33 years. I resigned in 1986. After I left school, just up the road here at Seddon Tech, I went to farmers to get a job in their printing department. Unfortunately, the manager was away, so they said, would I take a job as a message boy in the meantime? I'm still waiting for the job in the printing department. (laughs) Um, But no, just briefly, that's my story. As I say, I resigned in 1986 when I was responsible for merchandise control and for sales of $300 million a year, which was a lot of money in those days. But that's not about me, it's about Farmers Trading Company. And really, it starts off with Robert Laidlaw. Robert Laidlaw came out with his family from Scotland, and they settled in Dunedin, where his father was a hosiery manufacturer. His employment was as a rep for a hardware company And I'm 99% sure it was the company Wingates, which a lot of you may have heard of. He was the rep that went around the South Island on a horse, selling and promoting their products. He thought there must be more to life than this. And he was fascinated in the mail order business of Montgomery Ward in America in those days. So he went to America. He studied it and decided, yes, This is the way of the future. So, in 2009, he started, well, before that, he was putting together um, ideas for his catalogue. In 2009, 1909, (laughs) 100 years before 2009, (laughs) he started Farmer's Trading Company, which was strictly a mail-order company. Then it was called Laidlaw Leeds, and he spelt Leeds, L-E-E-D-S. He meant L-E-A-D-S, that it does lead, but he thought it was a little bit ostentatious to spell it like that. So he called it Laidlaw Leeds. And it's amazing, years and years later, they had Shareholders' Day, and the amount of people that came in and told me I knew Mr Leeds, I thought, well, that would be very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> we never really had one. But anyhow, he started his catalogue. And the amazing thing, it was a huge catalogue, and it had over... 2,000 items in that catalogue, yet he never bought a bit of stock. He went round all the warehouses, saw what product they had available, had them illustrated, sketched, photographed, whatever, and put them in the catalogue. He um, he had a variety. It wasn't just farming um, Instruments, but he had clothing as well, and clothing became a very big part of Farmers Trading Company. But some of the clothing in the first catalogue were there was a ladies' full-length wool costumes for forty-nine and sixpence, which is for eight dollars ninety-five now. Corsets, which were descri- described as very pliable, they were one and nine some of his best advertising came from the South Island where a farmer ordered a cow cover. He knew the cow cover was delivered. The farmer said he never got it, so he replaced it. That farmer talked, talk, talk, saying how clever he was and how he'd done the company for a cow cover, and that was the best advertising Robert Lader had got. People knew then that they could trust the guy. In 1910, he was only going four months um, when he had to move to bigger buildings. And <coughs> this was in Fort Street. But in 1913, there was a fire. So, he had to move once again to a bigger building. And then, in 1918, he moved with Farmers U- Trading. And that's where the name Farmers Trading come about and that was into the big building in Hobson Street, which is now, of course, the Heritage Hotel. They still run mail order up till 1920, but in 1920, they opened the doors and allowed the public into the building to buy personally. 1922, the first free bus from Queen Street, up to Happy Road, uh, up to Hobson Street. Um, it was a little trolley bus. That trolley bus traveled in a year, just up Wyndham Street, round the square, 16,000 miles, just going round and round that little circle, bringing people up. And that was in 1938, and they were the first trolley buses in New Zealand. In 1934, he had the first Santa Parade. Now, they've become huge now, and farmers are still part of it, but not entirely. It used to be entirely sponsored by Farmers Trading Company, and there was only one person in the farmers, even though I was on the executive, that knew how much that parade cost it. They didn't, they didn't want people to know. It must have been a huge amount, but they, it was a secret, they, they just did it. With um, the Santa parade, Robert Laidlaw was always looking for something something special. And they had this Santa grotto where you could take the children. And he said, well, we've got to get Santa here a bit different. How can we do it? So we had a board meeting. And he said to the board, can we get him to come by airplane? <laughs> oh, we well, would we'll think about that. And they decided, yeah, they got a little, I guess it's one of those biplane things and they got permission to land it at Victoria Park. Evidently, the plane landed, and a very white-knuckled Santa got out (laughs) of the plane. (laughs) They took him up to Hobson Street Store, where it was installed and did very well. Next year, Robert Laidlaw said, we've got to do something a bit better this time. We'll get him to come by parachute. So that was due that he was going to land in the domain in Auckland. And I believe there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. Plane went over, little dot dropped out, they got bigger and bigger. And it was a man in a parachute. Because parachutes were different in those days. They're not like the ones that you can manipulate and send in any direction you want to. It just come down. (laughs) So they, of course, checked all the wind and so forth. And the uh, the parachute was coming down And I don't know whether it was a wind change or what, but it started to veer off. And it actually landed in the winter gardens in the fish pond. (laughs) Now, he was so lucky, that man, when you think that Santa, if he'd have gone through one of the glass houses, he probably would have been shredded to bits. But I suppose landing in the fish pond was a good thing for him. They did lots of other things. Um, they opened the first car park in Australia for a company, and that was in 1928. 1930, they built the annex out of the back of the building where the dining room was, or still is, but I've heard just recently that the dining room in the Heritage Hotel, which was old Farmer's dining room, has just been sold. Someone has purchased it just on its own. So, obviously, to promote functions and so forth. But the architect there was a guy called Roy Lipcock. And I don't know how many of you have been to the dining room in um, Hobson Street when it was functioning. But you look at the decor. It was very Art Deco on the ceiling. It's virtually the same as the tower in the Auckland University, the design. He designed both. That man. We had many, many functions there, from 21st to weddings, huge, huge weddings, because they could seat 600 people. In 1950, the sales for the first time exceeded 5 million pounds. 1986, when I left, the sales were 600 million. So it had, it had gained considerably. The bargain basement opened in 1952, followed by the food hall. The food hall was really the first self-service. It wasn't food town. Farmers did have their own self-service in the basement. When the, um, you did your shopping, there were boys to take your groceries over to your car and um, look after you there, but, of course, things changed. Food town did very, very, very well, and it was not economical anymore for farmers really to run food, so they more, went more into clothing. And that's where I was more involved. 1954, I'd been there a year, and they opened the escalators. They were the first in New Zealand to have multi-storey escalators because they all went up four floors and down. We were beaten by the DIC in Wellington. They did have the first escalators in New Zealand. I claim a little bit of history there. I was the first one to run down an (laughs) up-escalator. The official party had gone up, and I run down the escalator. They haven't put a plaque up or anything about it. 1955 with the start of the multi story car park. (coughs) Other things he did was 1956, they had a circus on the roof because they always had attractions for the children during the school holidays, as well as the magnificent playground they had. They always arranged. Um, a, 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 a something for the children to come and see. 1956 was a circus with real lions. These lions were housed in the car parking cages. Early morning, they were brought over the skyway, into the lift, up to the roof, out of the lift and into their performing area. Nowadays, just wouldn't be allowed to do this. Um, no, it wouldn't work. Some of the amazing things about farmers was Hector. Hector, unfortunately, Hector died in 1977. He was 131 years old. We know that because the lady that brought him in She was 81 and she was given the bird, a a baby bird cockatoo, when she was one year old. So the bird was 80 years old virtually when we got it. Um, She could not look after it any longer, so she came and asked if the company would like it because they did have a big pets department at that stage. Of course, we wanted it. We took it. And that bird was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars with the Hector sales. I always thought they had a two, two of them a year. They seemed to come around so quick. But no, October was Hector's birthday sale. Um, Robert Laidlaw himself, he died six years before Hector. He died in 1971. Great man. Great. Incredibly, he must have had a brilliant mind and memory. I started at Farmers, and in the morning he'd come in, he had an office on the first floor. They used to walk through all the floors. And I'd only been there a couple of days. And he realised there was someone new. And he came up to me, he said, John, you're new here, aren't you? I said, yes. He said, what's your name? I said, Ted Dickens. He said, I'm Robert Laidler. I said, so? I never had a clue who Robert Ladle was at that stage. But he's a marvellous man, he took no offence at all. Um, 1960, another one of the features which is quite controversial now is the Big Santa, which is now in Whitcalls building, which used to be um, John Court's. Put up the Big Santa and for some reason whatever it was made of attracted blowflies. They put it up on the weekend. We went into work on Monday, and the watch repair department looked out. It was covered by the Santa, and the whole back of that Santa was covered in blowflies. Millions and millions. Of course, we got Marenta Kill, or whatever they've called, to come and exterminate them, and they thought it must have been something in the resin that, that was made of it. Attracted the blowflies. We got into trouble when Santa did that. Because that was an inducement, luring young children. What happened the next year? It winked. So that was worse still, to have one that does that and (laughs) winks as well. Can't have that. So they ceased. The operation for a while, but I do think it's working again now that the finger's still working. Anyway, no, it's, not. it's not. Seems a pity. So, so um, other things they did while I was there. One of the biggest things was uh, the the marriage of Charles and Diana. And at that stage, I was merchandise manager for women and children's clothing. So the then. Marketing manager come to me, said, we'd like to do a copy of Diana's wedding dress. And we want it in the store at 8.30 in the morning. The wedding was at night, and he wanted this dress at 8.30 in the morning. Can you do that? Sure. <laughs> I went around most of the designers. No one would touch it. No, we can't do it, impossible, blah, blah, blah. And now a friend of mine I actually played football with, His wife was a designer. So I asked her would she do it. She was not a royalist at all. She said, it's so stupid, I'll do it. And she did it. (laughs) I went into work, she came, we'd organized people from the fabric wholesalers, the lace wholesalers and so forth. They came, we put it up on the television. She watched for a certain amount of time she said, that's enough, let's go. So off we went round the fabric people, the lace people, up to her cutting room in Simon Street. She got, I can't, still can't believe it. She had this roll of material and she just rolled it down this big table and hacked at it with scissors. She didn't seem to draw anything or anything. She just hacked at it with scissors. And she said to me, this was about two in the morning, She said, well, you're quite useless here. You might as well go home, which I was. She said, I'll ring you when it's finished. I went home. The phone went at just after 6 o'clock. She said, come and pick up the dress. We'd given her a a mannequin, the shop mannequins, to, to dress it on. Went around there, and there was this dress. It was absolutely incredible. We had the critics from the Herald, and... The only thing they could find was they said the train. And at that stage, she had one of the longest trains ever for a royal bride. was two feet longer than it should be. (laughs) She had to judge that just watching on television. But that's the only bit of criticism they could find. Amazing, amazing. They were great for looking after their people, farmers. They had lots of sports activities for the staff. I was a member of a rifle club. So uh, there was a few of us from Farmers were in the rifle club, but we used to visit the army, the police, where they had them, um, and the oh, power board, they had rifle ranges. So I asked our personnel the manager then, could we build our own rifle range? Oh, she wasn't too keen on that. But I said, I've got all the specifics, well, it wasn't just me. I'm not taking the blame myself. We said, we've got all the specifics. We know what to do. We know how much you've got to have all this great depth of sand behind where the, t- the targets were to take the impact of the bullets. Well, she said, you seem to know what you're doing. Sure. Use our old display building, which was on the corner of Albert and Wyndham Street. Second story, old wooden building. So, we built our rifle range, we had some great evenings. We used to meet twice a week. But one night, up the outside stairs, the police come rushing through the door, and they were armed. What's going on here? Blah, blah, blah. We explained we are a rifle club. Well, you're not any longer. We didn't realise, in an old building, the floors could move, the sand had dropped away, which shot a hole in the building and the bullets were going over a policeman's head. (laughs) He was down in the uh, turner's and growers' markets. He was doing a patrol there, and the bullets were going over his head. So, for some reason, they closed the rifle club down. (laughs) Uh, It was, in some ways, a little world of its own, farmers. We had our own factories. We had furniture. I'm trying to remember them all now. We had furniture. We had footwear, we had tent, we had saddlery, we had clothing, just some of the factories. Um, We had our own printing department, where I'm still waiting for my job. We had our advertising department, we had our display department. So, really, it was quite a little self-contained company that did everything they needed to. They also... um, He was quite a philanthropist, uh, Robert later. We had one one um, day a year, which was put aside on a Saturday, because we didn't open then, for the handicapped people to come in. The staff volunteered to come back. They came in, there were people if they were handicapped and needed help, there were people to help them, take them around in wheelchairs and let them do shopping. Um, they got a big discount. But that was just part of the things that he did. Also, going back in those days, they used to have the most magnificent fashion parades. And they were huge. Um, I've got some photos there of one of the fashion parades, which was in 1956, I think. And it's interesting to see virtually every lady in watching the fashion parade wore a hat. Hats and gloves were... Certainly, the things there, but we had wonderful models. I got um, glare at because I was doing a talk on farmers and fashion, and it was there were designers there, and I said we had great models that knew how to smile. I said, and they were bigger than the size eight. We used to have models, normal people. 14, 16, 18 size models, but they're all, all very professional. Of course, the Santa Parade, um, they used to bring in children from hospitals, orphanages, Wilson home, those sort of people. Uh, they would be bussed in, there were stages set up in the car park for them where they could watch the parade. After that, they were taken up into the dining room where they were looked after very, very well, given a wonderful lunch and the drinks and whatever they wanted, and then given a great gift to take home. That meant so much for a lot of those, those children. But that's the way he worked. My own experience with the company was I started, i say, in 1953 as a message boy, in the jewellery department. I'd been there s- some years, and then I was asked if I would relieve in the farmers trading company, Wangarei branch, which I did. I was still playing football in Auckland then, so every Friday I had a little austenite, I'd chug down to Auckland, have a game of football, Monday morning, go into farmers, get any stock I needed in the head office, take it back up to Wangarei. But it really didn't work out for me. I was, I was missing Auckland. So I applied, could I come back? Now, then personnel left, she said, we've got nothing really of that, because you were a manager. I mean, it was only a little little tiny store in those days. They called you the manager. Um, I, said, I, did, I said, I don't care. I really just want to get back to Auckland. She said, we've got a vacancy in our soft furnishing department. I said, that'll do, I'll take it. Of soft furnishing was curtains, bedspreads, and so forth. I'd only been there two days, and the first sales in the soft furnishing. In those days, you had the first sales. They approached the customer, asked them what they wanted. If it was something good, they'd keep it. If it's a bit difficult, they'd hand it on to someone else. And this lady came in. They used to bring the plans of their house, <coughs> looking for advice on drapes and curtains. And this lady came in with her plans and this guy, Charlie Spencer, I'll never forget his name, he said, oh, you're very fortunate. He said, uh, we've got Monsieur decon <laughs> who has just graduated in Paris and we'll get him to show you curtains. I said, you idiot. I said, you idiot. I said, I'm nothing about it. I don't know what to do. He said, just go and look at the plans and advise. I said, I don't know what to advise. He said, what colour hat are you wearing? Was a purple hat? He said, "Show a purple." <laughs> and I'll tell you honestly, that worked ninety percent of the time. When people come in, and looked at the colour of their hat, and that's the colour of the curtains. He showed them, and it worked. I resigned after the takeover of the company because it no longer became a public company. It was taken over by Chase. And to me, it didn't work. It was no longer the company it used to be. Farmers was always promotion, was within. You, you graduated through the company, so you knew what you were talking about. But they brought in an overseas general manager, which I had inquired about when I was in London doing some buying. And I knew this man come from Marks and Spencers. So the clothing people I was dealing with, I said, did they know him? He said, no, no, he was very rich, this guy. He said, but I know someone, I forget, who was a head of Marks and Spencers. He said, I'll ask him. I said, no, no, don't bother. He said, no. Next morning I went, we had lunch. Said, I found out about that guy. He said, as far as finance concerned, he is brilliant, but don't let him anywhere in their merchandise. He's a total disaster. This man come, and the first meetings we had, he wanted to organise the merchandise. He, um, we used to have showings for the branches to come and see what we bought for the following season. We had a lady's, what we'd call it, a button-through dress in wool jersey. And after the showing, he called me over and said, what, ''What do you call that?'' I said, well, ''It's a button-through frock.'' He said, You know what I call it? I said, No. He said, A dumb basic. He said, We're never going to stock them again. I said, That frock would be the biggest turnover line in the company. We used to sell 30,000 of them at $19. I said, That'll be the biggest turnover this company's got. He said, You're deaf. He said, I told you it's a dumb basic. And we won't ever stock them again. That's when I sort of decided. I don't know if I want to be here anymore. Um, the difference was also that on the executive floor where I was, you wandered in and out of each other's office and did brainstorming and so forth. But the new man, his office door was always shut. So you had to go to the receptionist to ask, even though I was two, st- two offices from him, and say, could I see him? She would talk to him. She'd say, yes, go and wait. So you had to stand outside his door Till you heard, come, and then you could proceed in. Once again, that was not the farmer's trading company that I knew and I loved, which I did love. I had to. I met my wife there. Um, There were so many marriages where people met at farmers. So as I say, I resigned in 1986. But I've still got very fond memories. We had a 20-year club. Um... And once you'd been there 20 years, you became a member of this club. Once a year, they'd have a dinner. And, boy, did they look after us members that had been there 20 years. Even if you'd retired, you were still invited back. They decided to keep it going. Um, they um, sent out invitations to the retired people. But I never got one. So I rang the secretary, the secretary. Then, your secretary, I said, that I never got her invitation to the 20-year club. Oh. I said, could you check it out? She said, no, I don't have to. He crossed your name off. <laughs> oh love lovely. I went anyway. <laughs> I didn't go to another one, but I went, went to that one to front him. Um, and that was sad, because that was, to me, the start of the company deteriorating. Anyone with experience they didn't want. There was one, I, as I say, I'd been there 33 years when I resigned. There was one buyer who was called in front of the Chase people. They said, what do you do here? He said, I'm the buyer for the cycle department. How long have you been doing that? Eight years. Couldn't you, get a jo- couldn't you not get a job in another company? You know, why are you, do- why are you here eight years? because they were flick over people. And I think that's how, in those days, I'm not gonna say it still happens, but people used to get a job somewhere for two or three years and then scoot. So they could make some horrible mistakes, but they've left and gone before they found out. But where in the old days, you were there, and if you did something wrong, you you knew about it. But that's one thing about farmers, Our then general manager said to me, he said, um, because when I was made buyer for fabrics, I didn't know a thing. I said, I don't know anything about it. He said, go and talk to our assistant general manager, a guy, Wynne Christian. He said, you're worried about it? I said, yes, I am. He said, "Um, when your suppliers come, tell them you don't know anything. Ask them what what they would do. He said, we're a big company now. They won't put you crook. And he was right. You know, company farmers joining you said to the rep, what should I buy? This this, this and that. That's what's going overseas. And that sort of worked very, very well. And that certainly helped me in, in, in my career at Farmers.
0: If this is your first time listening, then thanks for tuning in. The Heritage Talks podcast is produced regularly for your education and enjoyment. Talk notes are found on the Talks page at soundcloud.com. Come back whenever you like and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the Talk Notes.